Would you take God's word and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes? If you're visiting with us today, we have been in a series, and we're at chapter 11 now. I think a highly relevant series in which um, Solomon, at the end of his life, is giving us some wisdom. And here's what he really said throughout the entire book. You can pursue anything you want. It can be good or it can be bad. Without God at the center, you will experience emptiness. And that's why he starts out by saying vanity, vanity, all is vanities. It's, it's purposelessness, it's, it's empty, there's no meaning. And when I look at our world today, I see it hungry for wisdom. And I watch people trying to quench their thirst with cheap substitutes, with fillers, with fast food, and expensive dining. And so I've kind of called this the age of misinformation. I'm told 50, 60 years ago, not that I'm that old. For the most part, you could believe what people like Walter Conkright said. And there was good newspapers. And networks tried to be fair and honest. But over the last 50 years, we've seen a, a shift in what's called bias news organizations. Then came the internet. And suddenly there was as much disinformation as there was information. And it's getting very hard to tell the good guys from the bad guys. Bad information is just as prevalent, articulate, and authoritative sounding as good information. There's an economic theory called Gresham's Law. And here's what it says. It says that bad money, if there's enough of it, drives out good money. And I think that's what's happening to information. There's this rise of bad information that's caused good information to all but disappear. And so we have noise today. Noise of exact accusations, noise of opinions. It's kind of going back for those that are old enough. They remember the, the World War II clash between Tokyo Rose and the Voice of America. If you know what I'm talking about, go brush up on American history. <laughs> but today, it appears that lying is so prevalent that now they have a cottage industry called fact-checking. Have you seen it? And that's risen up. But the problem with the fact-checking industry is they themselves are biased, and we align ourselves with the current fact-checking bias that suits us. So spin, lies, creating narratives that suit us is what dominates our misinformation. And misinformation eats away at the fabric of our society. And it makes us fragmented. It makes us tribal. My tribe, my truth. Please don't confuse me with the facts. And so the quest for something like justice today, which is good, never finds purpose because there can be no justice without truth. So along comes Jesus and says, I am the truth. And today, if you believe that, that makes you just fill in the accusation. And Jesus comes along and says, the truth will set you free. Truth being Jesus, because he's the only one who knows the truth about me. 
And it's why I say that we desperately need wisdom. I think people are hungry for it today. They're just looking in all the wrong places. Now I'm told there's a sign along that Alaskan highway. I've never seen it because I've never driven it. And the sign says this, choose your rut carefully, you'll be in it for the next 200 miles. For many of us, we've chosen ruts. See, ruts are familiar. They're comfortable. And towards the end of this book, the advice that Solomon gives us is get out of the rut. In his old age and his gray hair and probably a few less teeth, he gives us this advice before he gives us his conclusion next week. And his advice in chapter 11 is risk life. Risk living. Risk doing something significant. And if you're going to do something significant, you have to look at above the sun. You have to look at it coming from God. Under the sun, no matter what you risk, you will end up in vanity, vanity. All is vanity. And so there's three things he challenges us this morning with. He says, be bold, be joyful, and be godly. Let's look at the first seven verses. Be bold. Verses one and two. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Now, the first thing he tells us is, I want you to be bold in terms of generosity. Casting what you have on the water. Don't keep track of it. That's what that phrase means. If you throw something in the water, the current takes it, and it takes it away from you. Give with no expectation of someone giving back to you. He says, diversify your generosity. Give a portion of seven or even eight. You don't know what disaster may happen on the earth. Now, I love this. I love what he's challenging us with because he says, you may save, you may hoard, and all this in reserve but he says, you don't know what's going to happen. You could wake up tomorrow morning and lose everything. Now, history bears this to be true. And like I said a few weeks ago, history is cyclical. It isn't linear. And so what we see in history, we can expect to repeat. There is nothing new under the sun. Remember what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 1? Let me read it for you again. Just listen. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing which is, it is said, see, this is new. It has been already in ages before us. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things. Yet to be among those who come after I still remember a couple that Bev and I ran into when we were traveling. It was at a gas station. We talked to this couple, and they shared this story, and it's hard to believe this happened in our present day. And I, forgive me, I forget the country they were from in Europe, but they shared how they were quite wealthy in their country. And because of the overthrow of a government, they had to leave immediately, and they lost everything. They could only take the clothes on their back. It was so urgent. And history tells us this is true for many people. Think about those who suffered under Hitler. 
Many Jewish people and others, they had to flee with nothing. And what Solomon is trying to tell us is this. If you're truly generous, if you're truly diverse in your generosity, it moves us beyond our money. And so we move beyond our stuff thinking about being generous there. And we move to things like time and talents and passions. And we use a word in church that we say we serve. And we serve out of our hearts. Now what we have to understand as well is when you look at this whole complete picture, you cannot be generous in one area and not generous in another area. You can't say, well, I'm going to be generous with my time, but not my possessions. It doesn't work that way. Let me use some Lancaster County terminology. Solomon tells us if you're tight with your money, you'll be tight with your time, attitudes, and passions. Now, for those that don't know, understand Lancaster County terminology, tight means I close my fists and I hang on to it. And the only way you will get it, if you blow my hands up. <laughs> I remember being back in Bible college just a few years ago. And we're sitting around having a discussion with some students about giving, about being generous, about tithing. And many of the students said, well, you know, I, I don't have much. Now let's settle something right here this morning. Every single one of us, no matter what lot we're in life, because we live in America, we are rich. We need to settle that. Compared to third world countries, compared to refugee camps, heard a story this past week of a little girl. She's 10 years old. Her name's Lillian. And she went with her dad to Rwanda. And when she came back, she goes, Dad, why do we have so much? So let's just settle that we are wealthy. But many of the students said, well, I don't have much, so I give my tithe towards my tuition. That's my giving. And my dad didn't let me get away with that. That just didn't suit. Giving's beyond what you have to pay for in other ways. So be bold in generosity. Now he continues in verses 3 through 7 about talking about boldness in terms of life. Listen to what he says. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves in the earth. And we're praying for rain this afternoon that that would happen. If a tree falls in the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. Do you see what he's saying? We have no control over these things. We can try to predict, but we have no control when rain comes. We have no control over a tree falling. He observes the wind will not sow. He regards the clouds will not reap. And so he's thinking about a farmer here saying, listen, if we sit around and we, we worry about everything that we don't have control over, it will paralyze us. We'll sit there and say, well, I can't sow the field because if I sow the field, I might not get rain. If I don't get rain, it won't grow. So I'm just going to sit here with a seed in my lap. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with a child. He moves on to childbearing now. So you do not know the work of God who makes everything. We may play by the rules in terms of childbearing, but that doesn't necessarily guarantee that we will bear children. I mean, that's all he's saying. There are certain things out of our control. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, withhold not your hand. Go out and do the work. 
even though you don't control the weather. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So Solomon just kind of says life happens. There's a lot of things we don't have control over, and if we get paranoid about those things, we will literally freeze our lives. If you wait for perfect conditions, it will cause you to do nothing. So he says, be bold, plant, trust the rain will come. The creation of kids, we have little control over this. He says, be bold. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no. But there are other ways we can be bold in terms of the creation of kids. I like the phrase that you do not know the work of God who makes everything. It's a phrase that the Hebrews use talking about the sanctity of life that God formed and God makes. We sang about God the creator this morning and singing about the wonders of his creation. This is what this means. And see, some of the idols that Solomon's wives brought with them and he built temples to and he entered into worship with them, some of those religions sacrifice kids. Imagine Solomon's heart getting turned so far away from God that he allowed that to happen. Let me give a practical illustration of this in terms of everything Solomon's saying about being bold. Many of you probably know about Susquehanna Valley Pregnancy Services. What you probably don't know is started by a woman by the name of Lisa Hostler. She couldn't have kids. And instead of that being her burden and freezing her life, she decided to be bold. And she sought to make a difference in the lives of people who are faced with difficult choices. And instead of misinformation, she gave truth and love. Truth about Christ, truth about the value of life, mother and child. And then provide alternative ways to honor life. And she's a bold example of bold generosity in light of not being able to have kids of her own. Now let's go to the sport world. If you ever sat underneath a coach, they tell their athletes usually this thing. Don't leave anything on the field. Give it your all. And when the end of the game sounds, make sure you spend everything you have in that game. And that's Solomon's advice. He says, be generous. Don't rust out. Burn bright like a falling star. Be bold in your generosity. Be bold in what you give out of your time, your talent, your passions, your stuff. Be bold. Let's go to the second thing he challenges with in verse 8. Be joyful. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice. Let him be full of joy in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. And again, life apart from God, if you look at life, because life gets hard, apart from God, it will take you out. He's also telling us that what often begins with joy ends in bondage. It's seen in our marriages, isn't it? There's joy on that special day, and either one or both lose their center in God, and they can still be religious, but later it's like, what did I do? There's this sense of obligation, sense of bondage. We lose our center. 
And it makes life hard. It's seen when we expose ourselves to lies, misinformation, and violence. We take good things too far. We dream and we work together and we work together for the common good, but then that common good, that energy, that sacrifice becomes duty and obligation. And I've seen this in church leaders. I've seen this in missionaries where they start out and they're hungry for God to do incredible things. And later on, they are bitter and they are angry and they're just grumpy. It's seen in our generosity where we give with joy. Then we're hurt and wounded and we feel cheated. And so we pull back. And generosity and joy are not based on our circumstances. They're based on Christ. And Solomon describes this. When we take Christ out of the picture, it's chasing the wind. Every pursuit will end up in vanity, vanity, all is vanity. So our joy must be centered in God. It must be focused. It's where we meditate. It's what we fill our minds with as we empty our minds of the lies and the misinformation of our day. We put in God's word and we put in Christ. Now think about Solomon for a moment. I mean, isn't he the great example of all this? He had everything anyone could ever dream of in terms of power, prestige, and possessions. In terms of admiration of the world, there has been no one like him ever since except for Christ. That's said in the New Testament. At some point, he was distracted, and it became, it's never enough for Solomon. And he's trying to tell us at the end of his life, he wasn't bold in his generosity. He wasn't bold in his joy. And that moves us to the next point then, because all three of these are reliant upon each other. He says, be godly. Verses 9 through 10, rejoice. There's that phrase again, be full of joy, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So he brings God into the picture saying, listen, there is something beyond this world. There is something we're going to be accountable to. There is a who that we're accountable to. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life or vanity. You can almost hear him saying, okay, I'm old and I hurt (laughs) and my body doesn't work the way it used to. And you youth, you think you can do the impossible, but you know what? That's just vanity too. It's just vanity. What Solomon's trying to tell us is that life is a gift. Enjoy it. He says, yes, there's going to be tough times because we live in a fallen world. But we have a choice. We have a choice that we can be bold and courageous. We have a choice that we can be generous. We have a choice that we can be full of joy. We have a choice that we can be godly. And that choice is not a forced relationship. I know we don't like to talk about the judgment of God much. That just isn't popular today. We're too busy wanting to be liked and popular. You know, Paul says this in Philippians that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. 
And it's all a matter of timing. Either now or later. And we must see all three of these things interconnected. Which means you can't have joy and you can't be generous and you can't be godly without God. And you may reach human levels that impress people, but that doesn't mean that it impresses God. And Paul tells us at one point, you can give everything away, literally, everything you have. And if your heart does not have the love of God, he says, it is nothing, it is empty. So you see this morning, it's not about your age, it's about your attitude. It's not about when you were born, but it's how you see this world. And Solomon's clear, we must see this world as God sees it. So ask yourself these questions. If I lack the courage to be generous, if I lack the boldness to live in spite of all those things I have no control over, why? If I don't have the joy Why? If I am not being godly, why? I mean, don't blame it on somebody else because that's not what the Bible says. It's not your circumstances. So if I'm one of those grumpy people we read about in the Old Testament that wandered around the wilderness for 40 years, ask yourself, why? And that's why I say we desperately need wisdom today. I want to give you three words. And I wish I could say I developed these three words. Um, Rather, I got them from Patrick Lencioni. He's a business consultant. And and they use these three words when they hire people. And I use two of them and I tweak the third. But if you want to be wise, there are three qualities you will need. If you want to navigate this world, there's three qualities you are going to need. Apart from talent... Apart from education, apart from your situation, if you want to navigate our present culture, there are three qualities we must possess. Here they are. We've got to be humble, hungry, and wise. Say those three words with me. Humble, hungry, and wise. The choir sang this morning, and by your applause, I assume that you agree with what they said. (laughs) Here's the phrase. Do what you must do, Lord, to turn our hearts to you. I want you to take that phrase, and I want you to pray it this week. Do what you must do, Lord, to turn. And I want you to use the word our in terms of GBC, our hearts to you. I don't know if we are ready for what he would do. And of course, the end of that prayer then is revive us. See, humility is the single greatest, most indispensable attribute of wisdom. Paul in Philippians 2 says, let this mind be in you. Let this attitude be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. And later on, he said he humbled himself, 
to the point of dying on a cross. He was the wisest person. He humbled himself. We are to mimic his attitude. And we see the life of Jesus. He told the truth to everyone, didn't he? Seen, woman taken in adultery. Men surround her saying, by law, we should stone her. What do you say, Jesus? And of course, he points out their sin at first. And they walk away. But imagine getting to a point in our religion, we literally pick up rocks and we take the life of someone else. I mean, how do you get there? But then he turns to the woman and he tells her that she should not sin anymore too. And to go. And she wasn't condemned. Go and live free from this sin. See, humility creates the perfect balance of grace and truth. Most of the times we swing the pendulum to all truth, and so we use it like a baseball bat, and we beat people over the head with it. Or we swing it to all grace, and and we're just going to love people, and we're never going to let them know that we disagree. We're never going to talk about sin because somebody might be offended. So humility, hungry. Now, we're all hungry. But we must be hungry after the right stuff. We must seek first God and his kingdom. We have to learn about God. We have, to, we have to say we can't get enough of Jesus. We have to love his body, his church. We have to love his kingdom. We have to be hungry for grace and truth. We have to be hungry to make things happen. Understanding that there's so much of this that is out of our control. I mean, Solomon reminds us of that. But let's get hungry for the things that we can do. And not being humble and hungry for the right stuff makes us discontent. It makes us whiners. We complain about everything. It makes us tribal. And of course then we find people just like us, who think like us, who act like us, who talk like us. And we all sit in our corner saying, wow, isn't it great that we are the only ones that have the real truth? <laughs> now we don't say that, but that's how we act. That's how we think. Not being humble and hungry makes us wonder why everyone else can't think and live like me. And we sit there and say, why can't people be humble like us? If only people were smart as me and give like me. And what happens then is when that fills our hearts, we become angry, critical, and condemning, and we lack joy, and then we pull away rather than release our generosity. See, if we lack humility and hunger, we end up creating witch hunts for other people's sins. Now, a prime example of this is back when I was in my 20s, and some of you know this individual. He still is actually active in television. Um, Somebody told me, and I was thinking as a 26, that I had to watch Jimmy Swigert. And I remember watching him for the first time and in tears, he stood up and said that God has called him to root out and take out pastors who were cheating on their wives. And to that date, he had taken out eight. And I said to myself, something's wrong with this man. Now, I never knew that was a spiritual gift. I never knew that was a calling. But the person who was with me just thought that Jimmy Swaggart was the last holy holy man on the face of the earth it was six months later if you know his story his own sin was revealed his preoccupation with women of the night 
and his lack of humility, he never stepped down. And even though he was caught again and again and again, to this day, he violates the very punishment he handed out to others. See, that's what a lack of humility and hunger for the wrong stuff do to us. And that's not the church. Wise. Wisdom gives us the ability to navigate our culture and people with truth and grace. It gives us the ability to be community. It gives us the ability to properly respect and fear God. Wisdom gives us Jesus and his spirit. Now this sums up what Solomon is trying to teach us. Humility, hunger, and wisdom. And this is my heart for GBC. I pray that we become a church that is humble, that we bow our knee to the audience of one. I pray that that we hunger after truth and righteousness. And we seek it like that precious pearl that Jesus tells a story about. I pray that we're bold and we have courage in our generosity, in our time, our talents, our passions, that we don't look at other people. We just say, what can I give, Lord? And we let the rest of the stuff go because... We don't have control over that. I pray that we are a people of joy. Yes, we go through hard things. And we weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. But, but our joy is founded in Christ. And, and I pray that we are a godly people. That everything we say and we do, that reflects his glory. Exactly what we sung about this morning. I pray that we hear this prayer and that we pray it. Do what you must do, Lord, to turn our hearts to you. Revive us. May we at GBC be humble, hungry, and wise. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship group and team to come up. They're going to lead us in closing. I want you to pay attention to the words because it is really a declaration that we will follow. As they do that, I want you to pray with me. Father God, um, thank you that we can be here this morning. We don't always like to hear your truth, but thank you for it. I pray that your spirit does the interpretation because we like to take your word and, and make it mean what we want it to mean. But may you drill down in our minds and our hearts the truth that you have for us. I pray for us as a church, Lord. I pray that you will do what you must do to turn our hearts to you, Lord. May we be humble, may we be hungry, and may we be wise. In your name we pray. Amen.